Atlanta's July 4th tradition is back. There's really very few races like Peachtree. The 2021 Atlanta Journal-Constitution Peachtree Road Race. I would much rather be known as the world's safest 10K. No matter how you choose to run it, we're here to get you ready. Helps me stay in shape and build friendships and work off stress. You're listening to the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Peachtree Road Race. Welcome into another edition of the Peachtree Podcast here with Jay Holder. I'm Jennifer Perry. Hey, Jay, you're looking buff over there, getting a lot of strength training in over in Tokyo. I get that all the time, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, that's all I've been doing here in this, uh, still in quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I have really been relying on different strength classes to just kind of keep the adrenaline going and the endorphins going. And most importantly, to pass the time, I brought my resistance bands with me, which have been super helpful. And I also, I found online weights, dumbbells that you fill with water. So they travel very easily and they, nice. they go all the way to 20 pounds. So oh. I've been using those. I've never been known for my muscles, <laughs> but, but maybe when I walk out of here, I'll be a little stronger. <laughs> you were telling me, I don't think you've ever gone two weeks in your life without cardio. So this is a little bit of a challenge for you. It is running detox is what it feels like. Uh, <laughs> I'm watching the last, did you ever watch the last dance, the documentary series? Oh yes. Yeah, last summer during the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I'm one of like six people who didn't watch it. And so. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Netflix here in Japan. And so my routine is every morning I wake up and it's really afternoon because I'm still keeping Atlanta time. And I put on an episode of The Last Dance and I walk back and forth in this 10 foot space that I have for the duration of the episode. And that's my morning walk. <laughs> and, then, and then I do some some weights with my water weights. So, you know, I'm figuring it out. Yeah, you're making it. You're staying sane uh, while under quarantine. And one of the things helping keep you sane is a Peloton app. Actually, today we have one of the most well-known Peloton instructors here on the Peachtree podcast. Yeah, these Peloton instructors have really built a following all of their own. There are so many unique personalities on the app. I'm a Peloton user myself, and I really gravitated towards Matt Wilper as one of the runners on the platform because he he was a collegiate runner and a high school runner, and he talked a lot about running. And then I realized one day he's from Georgia. And so I just emailed him and said, hey, would you have any interest in running the Peachtree virtually? And without a second thought, just, yes, absolutely, let's do it. So we've been working with him over the last couple of weeks to get him ready for the Peachtree. He's been giving us some tips. And today we caught up with him to talk about how his training is going and what it's like to be a Peloton coach. Yeah, he's very motivational. They call him the baby-faced assassin, and they do that for a reason. So he's going to get us motivated and tell us where he's running his virtual Peachtree. And then also today, you know, we've been talking a lot on this podcast this Race year is very different. I mean, we're stretching it out over two days. The expo is a little bit different. And so is the level of security in terms of helping protect us from this virus. And some interesting methods that you guys at Atlanta Track Club are using this year to help us do that. It includes uh, help in the forms of canines. I've said it before on this podcast, and I'll say it probably more after this, but the goal this year is not to be the world's largest 10K, but to be the world's safest 10K. And to keep the thousands of people who are running the Peachtree in 2021 safe and to do it in a timely manner really took some outside the box thinking by the race organizers at the club. And we were able to team up with a company in Alabama called 360 Canine that uses dogs 
to detect the scent of COVID-19 on an infected person. And so it may sound crazy, but it's actually something that's been happening for decades with dogs and different viruses. And now we're just applying it to this one. So we're going to talk to the people training those dogs and who've come up with the method to explain to us why this works and why it's going to help us keep the peach tree moving in 2021. It's fascinating what they do. So stay tuned for that. It's coming up here on the Peachtree Podcast. Whether you're digging deep or reaching new heights, Cliff Bar is the ultimate energy bar, purposely crafted with an optimal blend of protein, fat, and carbs, so you can move the world. Cliff, let's move the world. Well, it's working for Jay in Japan, and for many of us during the pandemic, we've turned to virtual training in the form of things like Peloton to keep us fit, keep us active. And Jay, we have a great guest here on the podcast this week, one of the most popular instructors on the app. Matt Whoopers has more Instagram followers than anyone in the elite field so far for the AJC Peachtree Road Race. And he's not a pro runner. He's never won an NCAA championship. He's never won a world marathon major, but A lot of people know who he is because he teaches a very popular running class and strength for running class and cycling class on the Peloton app. And he has his own coaching business. But more importantly, he's a Georgia guy, went to Pope High School and Georgia State, and he's run the AJC Peachtree Road Race before. And this year he's going to be doing it in his new home of New York City. Matt, you are running the Peachtree this year, and this is not your first time. Definitely not. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I'm excited to you. And I'm going to be running the Peachtree Road Race in Central Park. Central Park. <laughs> yes. Wow. I'm curious to know afterwards if that's going to be a hillier course than the actual Peachtree course, because Peachtree course doesn't have the West Side Hills and Cardiac Hill on it. No, it's definitely got Harlem Hill, which is a beast. But uh, right. But I think it'll be a little bit hillier probably than Atlanta. But I don't. You know, I'm not for sure. I haven't really studied that that closely. So. Tell us about your Atlanta roots. I know you bring it up every once in a while on the Peloton classes and you can yeah. see it on Instagram, but you went to Pope High School and, and grew up running here. Yeah, no, I went to Pope High School. Uh, I was a soccer player forever for a long time growing up. And then uh, my sister was like, yo, if you want to, she's two years older than me. And in high school, she was like, if you want to make the soccer team, you better be fit. And so she's like, you should probably run cross country in the fall. It's a great way of staying in shape for spring soccer. And so I, I ran cross country in the fall and, and then uh, tried out for soccer in the spring. And it was a great way of staying in shape. And then I just fell in love with the, really it was the people running. I, I really, you know, that's what it comes down to is the people running. So I slowly started spending more and more time running and less and less time playing soccer. And uh, one day I was going on a train run down at Collins Drive. And I, I ran into the, was it John Rowland from Georgia State University, John Rowland. And he was like, you should come on out and, and try out, you know, for, for the team. And I'm like, Okay. For those of you guys that don't know John Rowland, he's a wonderful human being, probably one of the best coaches I ever had in my life. And so I went and tried out and, and ended up running for Georgia State. And Georgia State itself has a real deep roots to the Peachtree because Tim Singleton, who is the coach yeah. at Georgia State in the 70s, founded the Peachtree. So there's a lot of ties there. What are some of your best high school running memories in the Georgia high school running community? Because it's a real, as you said, tight-knit community. Oh my gosh. Oh, running in Georgia. I I mean, my favorite place to run in forever is always going to be Columns Drive and like the the mountain bike trails down Soak Creek. That's, that's my favorite place for sure. But, uh, you know, Georgia running memories, you know, traveling all over. We we used to go to, uh, oh, now living in New York city, I, on my memories fading on me, but, uh, it was Kennesaw mountain. I love running Kennesaw mountain. Uh, it's so beautiful up there. And then, uh, 
I grew up mountain biking a lot. So we run a lot of mountain biking trails. And then, of course, all the high school cross country series. I remember going over to Barry College. And Great you, trails there, yeah. You get there, it's the morning mist, and you'll see all the deer out there. Uh, you can't beat that. It was yeah, awesome. That's a beautiful, beautiful area. So, but then, but then, you know, when I was at Georgia State running, we'd have every weekend our coach take us out to Kennesaw Mountain. And then during the week, we'd run a lot, a lot of times in the city, and we'd see Georgia Tech all the time. And we'd be in, in Piedmont Park. And uh, Piedmont Park's a, a wonderful place to run. Uh, if it wasn't for Atlanta and the running community down there, I wouldn't be a runner. So take us on the journey. You, you're in Pope High School. You run into General and on Collins Drive, end up running for Georgia State. How do you end up working for Peloton and, and yeah. encouraging and, and people to run every day? Man, you got time for a few beers? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got nothing but time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, so no, I graduated Georgia State. And decided I was going to go and work in uh, finance and accounting, and and so I thought, I'd, you know, come up to New York City. I got the, I got the, the exposure to some of the big time finance firms, all that stuff. But I, I started off in accounting, moved up there as a CPA and in public accounting, and uh, got my feet wet and all that. And from public accounting, I went to working on like a fitness startup, and then from fitness startup, I was going to med school to do like a career change, and then right at the last minute. When I was got the acceptance to med school and Peloton swooped in and gave me an offer and I took a hard look in the mirror and I said, well, you know, what are your talents here? And I was just like, well, I'm, I'm an okay student. I really love the academic side. I love working with people and helping people. That's at the core of everything I want to do is help people and do something good for the world. But I, I always felt that fitness is underrepresented in the healthcare community as like being preventative treatment. And so I was like, you know, at the end of the day, like, what are your core beliefs? My core belief is just like, we could be using fitness to change a lot more people's lives than we are currently. And I think one of my talents was coaching people and getting people to live happier and healthier lives. So I was like, you know what? You need to put your money where your mouth is and take this opportunity at Peloton because this is a great opportunity. And my parents wanted to kill me. (laughs) 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 they're, They're like, you're doing what? You just threw away how much money do you spend on this post-bac education at NYU? And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take this opportunity. They're like, all right, all right. I hope you know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Do they look at the thousands of followers you have now, Matt? And do you like just kind of rub that in their face just a little bit and say, you know, look at what I did? Well, I'm the luckiest kid in the world. My parents have never are so incredibly supportive. So no matter what I do, like they made it very clear. They're like, no matter what you do, like we'll always love you, we'll always support you. At the end of the day, we just want you to do something. <laughs> and so uh, I'm so lucky. There was that little hurdle at the beginning, but then they're like, you'll be successful. And you have been in so many different disciplines. I mean, again, you've, you've tried a number of sports over the years. I know a lot of people probably take your cycling classes on Peloton. How has that helped you as a runner to also try all these other different sports? How has that accentuated your running? Yeah, it's, it's really, they're all endurance sports, right? Cycling, running, you name it. And you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like when you're an athlete, when you're going through training and you have coaches, I had coaches my whole life. And it was just like, you never understand the why you just do. You're an executor. You're told what to do and you do it, but you never really dig into the why. And so when I started coaching, I was like, wow, all these people are like trusting me to understand, to lead them in the path of the right direction towards achieving whatever they wanted to achieve. And for some athletes is like, they wanted a specific time and I needed to deliver that. Other people were like looking to change their lifestyle, live a healthier lifestyle. I was like, I had to, I had to deliver. 
in order to deliver, you know, what do we learn in school? You, you got to do your homework. So it really taught me to coaching and experiencing, like, especially coaching is digging into the why and reading books. And I've, you know, after working with so many influential coaches and running into so many amazing coaches up here, you know, through certifications, et cetera, digging into all the coaching books out there and certifications, et cetera, and learning about the why, and then actually going out and doing your best to deliver these results that athletes want. And from athletes, you know, no one's perfect. No coach is perfect. I made tons of mistakes in my life. I'm sure I have plenty to go. But over time, you, you start to learn what works and what doesn't work. And you start to see, you know, principles and trends that, to stick to. And that's, man, it's massive learning opportunities, a massive learning curve for me. It's been fun, though. You obviously love the coaching side of things because you're not just on Peloton, you know, what seems like a million times a week. Every time I go on, I can find a different strength class or fight class or yeah, class. All the time. <laughs> there all the time. But you also have your own coaching business. What's it look yep. like to be to be personally coached by Matt Wilpers? What, what would I expect as an athlete if I came to you as a coach? Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, Team Wilpers. It's, it, Team Wilpers is like, the idea is that there's no one size fits all, right? There's no There's no one method. That, that fits all. And it's like, it, it's about the athlete. It's about who you're dealing with and understanding the individual. So we take every single person and because it's like, I love the saying of like, your biography becomes your biology. And we need to understand both the biography and the biology to deliver a great result to the athlete. So we, we learn about the athlete first. And athlete is everybody. Everyone has an inner athlete. Coaching's for everybody. And that's really what we focus on is like, hey, if you, if you want to train and see results, if you want to achieve something and see a different version of yourself, like coaching's for you. And that's what we, we focus on is understanding the athlete, what are their goals, and then developing a plan to get them there and supporting and encouraging them, but also holding them accountable. And so I work with about, what are we at, nine coaches now? And we all work with triathletes, runners, cyclists, swimmers to coach them through that lens. And we've got pro athletes and we've got athletes that have, you know, they're just getting started. And as a coach, what all coaches will know out there is that like when you see your athlete, what whoever your athlete is, when you see your athlete succeed, that's everything. That's, that's the whole kit and caboodle. That's what gets us excited. It's fun because it's, it's a very results driven business and we can help steer people in the right direction. And that said, we, we hold ourselves accountable to do the homework. Have you seen running bouncing back? Because I'm, I'm sure that for a while there, it was hard to find coaching clients because there were no races. But now it seems that races are coming back. Are, are you seeing that in your community? Oh, I, first of all, I'm so proud of the coaching staff that we have because our coaching staff basically had to pivot and say, well, we have no races. But guess what? In order to achieve results, we need to focus ourselves. And we need to focus on like, – you don't necessarily need a race to see results or to, to train towards something to get faster, et cetera. So – they were coming up with their own benchmarks and tests. And we, we would do test weekends and race weekends where we'd hold our own races. But absolutely, we're seeing definitely a, a bounce back. Everyone's super excited to get out there. But what we are seeing too is that people are like going overload. They're like packing out their calendar. And, and what we have to remind them is like, watch out for that ramp rate. Watch out for how fast you're ramping up, how much volume you're sticking in, you're sticking in that schedule and how fast you want to get to someplace because that can be a real recipe for disaster. Um, so a lot of times the coaching, we're holding people back more than we're pushing them, to be honest. 
That's an important point because I think all of us have been chomping at the bit to get back to normalcy. We might overdo it in some ways if we're not careful here. But what's it been like to see with apps like Peloton, just the virtual training aspect that has increased in this past year because we had to learn a different way of getting that coaching. What has that been like? And is that slightly less rewarding because you don't have that face-to-face interaction with the people that you're helping to transform? No, I, you know, I, I think that what we're going through here has been pretty awesome, to be honest. I think that it's the same thing we've seen at Peloton. It's just like people have realized like, wow, there's there's a lot we can do virtually. At the end of the day, it's like you, you have a race, you have something that holds you accountable and all the technology is there to track all this stuff. And so if anything, it's just turning light bulbs on. I think we're going to see more virtual in the future, period. You're probably going to see more of these hybrid models of races going real and virtual. And I, I think what Peachtree Road Race is doing is, is a fantastic idea because you're just letting more people experience like how awesome this, this event is. And like at Peloton, we just had a uh, this homecoming where usually it's in person, but this year we did it virtually. It was a blast. Hmm. And I think that everyone has had a, like a great learning opportunity to say like, there's a virtual side here and there's also an in-person side here. And there's, there's probably more we can do in the future. And, and hopefully there's lots of light bulbs going on for everybody. And I know that making that personal connection, it seems like a very intentional part of, of what you do at Peloton, what all the instructors do at Peloton. I feel it when I'm, when I'm taking the classes. Is that part of what you're asked to do when you get hired there to make that personal connection with the tens of thousands of people who are taking your classes? Uh, they really don't ask you to do that per se. You can do that. And like, I think it's as a coach, that's their natural inclination is to, why would I get up there, coach a class if I wasn't going to see a result from somebody? And like, I, nothing, nothing gets me more excited than hearing feedback from people saying like, wow, your workouts have changed my life. This has changed my life. As a coach, that's what you live for. We just love it. So I have to ask you, you're training for the virtual Peachtree. How do you balance your own training while doing the coaching and the Peloton business? Are you able to get your own workouts in or do you work it into what, what your coaching schedule is? Yeah. So the, rule number one in coaching is the workout is always the athletes. So when you're coaching, you're coaching, you're not training for your own on your own. So I'm not up there trying to hit my own pace targets. I'm up there to make sure my athletes get through the workout and get what they need done. And then, you know, I, I look at my schedule every week, every week is different. And I look at my schedule and I say, well, what's going to be hitting my body this week? And what do I have space for this week? And then I go through priorities of like, what needs to get done this week? What's number one, if I got a heavy coaching week, not everything on my priority list is getting done, but the most important runs are getting done. And I try to find days where I'm pretty well rested to hit those. But you always have to have realistic expectations before you get out there and know the purpose of the workout and understand why you're out there. But it's like at the end of the week, I, I make sure I'm getting done what I need to get done. Any tips for my friend Jay there who's trying to get done what he needs to get done in a six by nine cube? Essentially? That is tough. But, you know, if you, <laughs> if you look at uh, one of my favorite authors and running coaches is Jack Daniels, right? He was training someone that was in, in, in prison. Yeah. In a cell. And I was wow. just like, that's insane. That's amazing. I haven't gone that far. I took a cardio class today that was pretty, pretty intense. And I have this 10 foot space here that I'll pop on some Netflix and I'll walk back and forth for an hour <laughs> while the show is on every day just to, just to get some steps in. But, uh, you can't get Peloton tread in there? <laughs> I can't get the Peloton tread in here, but the, the app has come in handy a number of times. <laughs> yeah. Keeping them sane. But we're all going through different challenges, Matt, especially with our training, especially here in Atlanta. You have the advantage of maybe lower humidity in New York on July 4th. We'll see about that. But since you know this area well, you know the hills well, what are some of your best tips for our Peachtree runners this season, especially as the humidity starts 
starts to ramp up here. Oh man, I love this question. Here we go. So <laughs> here's here's my experience in Atlanta. All right. So the week of the Peachtree Road Race, all my training areas get slammed with people, <laughs> and they they think that a, a week of training is going to make the difference between <laughs> their, get it get out there this week, get out there now. You have to acclimate to heat. And acclimation to heat doesn't happen overnight. It can take weeks. And if you get out there and train in it, even at like a light level, it'll really help the acclimation process. And if your body is better acclimated to heat, by the time you get out, you're going to feel better. You're going to run better. But if you go from sitting inside the air conditioning and then even training inside the air conditioning and then running outside and it's it's a hot summer day in Georgia, that's going to be tough. So I, I would say get out there, start running. If I mean, it's mid-June. <laughs> Get out there. But then also um, humidity affects our body's ability to to loss of sweat and cool itself off. So again, anytime you have heat and humidity coming in, it's like you got to like think about performance expectations coming down a little bit. But the beautiful thing about the PC Road Race is that it's so darn fun. You know, every time I've ran the PC Road Race, I, I really haven't been focused on my time too much. I've been, I've been so focused on having fun out there with friends. So it's just a wonderful race. Just go out there and have fun. How are you going to replicate that fun this year in Central Park? Because the New York City running community is a lot of fun too. Can you bring some of that peach tree to New York? Oh man, I'm I, I, like absolutely. I'm going to drag some people out there with me. That's for sure. And running in Central Park is always a blast because while everyone might think it's the big city, but if you go running in Central Park, you probably know quite a few people out there. And like, I don't think I miss the most. You say hello to the same people yeah. every day, especially if you're on at the same time. It's great. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to say hi to the running community and have a good time and, and give it a good effort, you know? Are you going to try to run it hard or are you just going to try to ha- have fun with it? Oh, I'm going to try to run it hard. So, What's your Central Park Loop PR? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't, I've, never, I've never tried. I never gave oh, it a... You got to give that a whirl. <laughs> oh, man. That, now you got my... Now I got the wheels turning. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, that's a great question. I, I'll never forget when I first moved up here after college. I, you know, I ran four years. I was up here on an internship uh, before I went back down to Georgia State, and I got on a running team up here. And just to give you an idea, like I, I thought I was the jam, man. I thought I was like super fit, like crazy fit, gonna crush the world running, and no one could hold a candle to me. Yeah, right. I got on, <laughs> I got on a running team up here. There was a guy is like mid fifties that was like he was running fifteen minute five k's, no problem. Yeah, and I was it's like a rude oh, awakening, <laughs> very rude awakening. <laughs> So I, I was I was nothing up here. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an incredible running. I had the same experience. I came up best shape of my life, and and it was dusted right away. <laughs> but it's also a great training ground because you're all constantly surrounded by people who are better than you that you have to chase. Yeah, and it's and everyone up here is like super committed, and it's just it's a really great energy, a really great vibe. And I I think that like when I first moved up here, I went to Central Park at like I think it was five thirty in the morning one day, and it was freezing cold out, middle of the winter. And I get out there and Central Park is packed. And I was like, I think I found, I think I found my happy place. <laughs> it's, there's nothing like it. What's, what does your running calendar look like for the rest of the year? Do you have any other races planned? So this, actually this weekend, I'm actually pacing my buddy. He's doing a hundred mile race around New York City. So oh, wow. I'm, I'm pacing him. I'm like support crewing that for 15 miles. Uh, I'm super stoked about that. And then um, I need to put a lot more on my calendar. I've been so busy with everything at work that I got the PC Road Race. And that's pretty much it for now, but I need to look at that calendar hard. That's definitely not it for me. I just, I can't give you any firm dates on anything else yet, but it's, it'll happen. 
Well, for a lot of our listeners, Matt, uh, you know, I know the Peachtree is kind of like an entry level race for a lot of people. That's their first entry into running and then they yeah. get hooked. So do you encourage setting a regular race for yourself, getting some of those races on the calendar so that you keep that motivation level going through the fall months, too? Oh, absolutely. Up here in New York City, we have a wonderful running community, New York Roadrunners, and they have races all the time. Pretty much the same thing as Atlanta Track Club in terms of like races all the time. And when you get out to a race, the energy is just, you can't, you can't describe it in words. And when you absorb that as an athlete and as a runner, a lot of times our coach, for example, like growing up, our coaches would be like, you know, just go run the race for fitness. And you get out there and you leave that race. And you're like, now I get it. Now I'm, now I'm like, I'm, di- I'm hooked on, like I'm dialed in. That's it. So it's like, imagine having one of the, every time you go out to a race, you're getting an infusion of energy and like focus to your, to your training racing often there's this called racing you can race to fitness if you want but if nothing else racing often can help you just have benchmarks along the way to track and see your fitness but also for the newbies out there like you know you can look at racing as okay i'm racing to compete or you can look at racing as going and have fun and just enjoying the environment but I, i'm a big fan of, of getting out there and, and putting races on the board and racing more rather than less I have to ask, because you helped us reveal the Peachtree t-shirt and you said at work, your nickname is Peaches. Is oh, that just the Georgia connection or is there more to that? Oh, the yeah. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious, man. So it's my, my nickname at work is called the Peach. Peloton in our, in our old uh, studio, it was like, there was like a office space below the studio and my manager down there, she would hike the air conditioning up, like max out the air conditioning. I'd come down there. I'm freezing. I, I like worked down there. I'm freezing all day long. And she's like, guys, we're freezing out the peach. <laughs> and so, so she's like, this is Georgia peach, man. Can't handle the cold. And uh, that's, that's where that came from. But she, yeah, that was Kristen. It was so funny. Wait, if folks want to learn more about your coaching, where can they find you, Matt? Uh, Teamwolpers.com. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of different services. And our, again, our goal is to work with athletes of all levels and help people achieve results and make the most out of their training because we all have limited time. And so we might as well use that time effectively. Matt, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Let us know how the peace tree goes. Yeah, thanks, Jane and Jennifer. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, it'll be all over my social media. I can't wait. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be watching from Japan. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> Play the Georgia Lottery and win big from anywhere with online digi games over 50 fun games to choose from and you can also play fantasy 5 kino cash pop mega millions or powerball on your phone online you name it play now at playdigi.com jay one of the really cool parts about this race this year is that you could still do the atlanta journal constitution peachtree road race virtually it is going to be kind of fun to see you know people like matt uh, some of the elite runners try it from different places around the globe you'll be doing it in tokyo uh, for those virtual runners though is there a way to track your results this year yeah, there will be a place for them to upload the results. So a link will be sent out to all virtual runners so they can track those. And then those will be public online. So you can see how you stacked up against your friend running in Africa or your friend running in Nebraska or wherever they might be. It really has turned the peach tree. Peachtree's always been a global event, but we can really see it in a new way with this virtual edition that came about last year and is continuing this year. And who knows what that means for next year? But I think that it's been fun to see people's different iterations of the peach tree. Yeah. I'm not going to stack up my results next to Matt Wilpers, though. <laughs> I have a feeling he's going to crush it. <laughs> I think I think he will. Yeah, I agree. I'm not either. <laughs> ¶¶
we're joined now on the podcast by Jerry Johnson and Dr. Bill Schneider of 360 K9. They are going to be providing a very valuable service at this year's Atlanta Journal-Constitution Peachtree Road Race. They're bringing the dogs that will help you get through COVID-19 screening quickly, efficiently, and safely, and make sure that the Peachtree is not just the world's greatest 10K, but the world's safest. Uh, Jerry and Dr. Schneider, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. So when I say COVID sniffing dogs to people, I get a wide range of reactions. It goes all across the board. Tell me how you determined that dogs could be used to effectively sniff out the scent of the COVID-19 virus. I'll start and give a little bit of an introduction, then I'll turn it over to you know the guy that knows what he's talking about, Dr. Schneider. So uh, we have been using dogs to detect viruses and other pathogens for about 10 years. On the agricultural side, we've worked primarily on grants. We've trained dogs to find uh, citrus canker, plumpox virus, diseases in tomatoes, all sorts of agricultural disease states. Some of them are viral, some of them are bacterial. In 2019, we decided with Dr. Schneider to take a look at studying a disease in a human host. So we were going to train dogs to detect the West Nile virus. Working on the grant process, you know, doing a little preliminary research, and then uh, COVID started, so we switched our focus, and that's why we're now with COVID. But the actual process of, of how we train them and the science behind it, you know, I'll certainly defer to Dr. Schneider on that. So, as Jerry mentioned, we were working on diseases in trees, and the things we learned there made it possible for us to detect diseases directly. So instead of detecting a host response, we could actually detect what was causing the disease. That was a pretty major breakthrough. And once we knew how to do that, we could transfer that particular technology to any host or any disease anywhere. And so when COVID came along, it was kind of a no-brainer to try and start there and see if we could train dogs to find COVID. And it turned out to be a pretty successful venture. It's pretty amazing what you've been able to do in such a short amount of time. When did you start training the dogs and how did you go about doing that? The first batch started training in late July of 2020. The way we do it is sort of a proprietary secret. We can't give away everything. (laughs) Um, But it's basically exposing them to a target scent, getting them used to learning that when I find this, I'm going to get a reward and then sort of exposing them to all the different environments they're gonna encounter during the course of their life as a biodetector dog. Once they have all those tools in place, we validate them to make sure they're at a certain level of accuracy, and then we put them out there and let them do their thing. Can you talk a little bit about the accuracy? I know we've, we've talked before, and it's at times more accurate than a lot of the standard testing methods. How accurate have you found the dog's detection to be? So using clinical samples, these are masks and clothing from people that have known PCR status, they're 99% accurate. When we actually did head-to-head double-blinded tests with PCR, the dogs had the same result as the PCR 96, 97% of the time. But we actually think that's because the PCR is a little less capable of detecting early infections. We had situations where people would come into this clinic where we were working They would test negative by PCR, the canines would alert on them, and a week later they would show up feeling worse, and then they would test positive by PCR. Hmm. So everything indicates that the dogs are just as good as PCR, and in the case of early asymptomatic infections, they're actually better. 
we think that probably these dogs are 99% accurate in every situation. It just takes the PCR a little while to catch up. So are there particular breeds that are better at sniffing out this virus than others? I would say uh, yes. Humans have about 5 million scent receptors. Depending on the breed of dogs, they can have up to 300 million. We typically like to use German Shepherds, Belgian Malinois, Labradors, German Shorthair Retrievers. They're all kind of in the 200 plus range. The dogs with the most scent receptors are your bloodhounds. But just behaviorally and drive-wise, they're not ideal when it comes to the actual characteristics we're looking for for working. So, you know, kind of the dogs that have been proven in police dogs and security dogs to find bombs and explosives that have been proven for, you know, for 100 years, those are the same breeds that we use. You know, dogs are amazing creatures. They really want two things. They want to please their human. And the ones with the high pride drive that we're looking for, they just want to play with their toy. You know, you can throw the toy a thousand times and they're going to want you to throw it a thousand and one and they want to make you happy. So we just use those characteristics. Dr. Schneider did the hard part by basically isolating what we needed to create the training aid. Now we just go do dog training. You turn it into a game of search and you make it fun for the dog. They're going to be very, very successful. You know, the dog training is the easy part. What Dr. Schneider did, that was the difficult part. I heard a dog barking behind you, Jerry, earlier in in the call. What's a day in the life of a dog like at K9360? Well, we do a lot of different things. So when dogs are in training, you know, they live in a kennel. We'll buy the dogs. We will train them. And they'll live in a kennel for the first several months of their lives. For the most part, we deploy what's called a virtual kennel. The handler and dog will certify. The dog lives at home with the handler. You know, we'll pay the handler a certain amount of money monthly to for care and maintenance and welfare for taking care of the dog. But, you know, the dog works when it's work time and kind of becomes a member of the family when it's not work time. We've heard from listeners and from people who are are doing the race that one of the questions they had is, can dogs catch the virus? These dogs are not in any harm's way, right? So, yeah, it's known that dogs can catch COVID. So far in the world, 46 dogs have tested positive for COVID. And that's since the beginning of the pandemic, and that's worldwide. In every case, those dogs are canines that live with a very symptomatic individual 24-7 for the whole time. And risk is a function of exposure and time. So we think our dogs, and our dogs experience people for about one to two seconds, they're at very limited risk. And this follow-up, of course, is that there's never been a case of dogs transmitting this virus to either other dogs or to people. So there is a risk, but we make it so that we have very limited risk. I think the follow-up there, because you brought up a good point, is the process. So what does this process look like for a participant? You mentioned it's only one to two seconds. What happens during the detection process for someone going through it? So when we're operationalizing this or checking groups of people, you know, it's kind of like processing through a line at the airport. People stand in a queue, we'll bring them up, we'll search them in groups, depending on the venue, anywhere from 10 to 50 people at a time, have them come forward, stand on a spot, socially distanced, and the dog comes down the line. Like Dr. Schneider said, the dog will barely break stride as it checks people. It goes up, it'll sniff your hand. If you have open-toed shoes, it might sniff your feet, but it goes by very quickly, about a second per person. Now, if the dog does find someone that has the infection, you'll see the dog stop, investigate a little further, but within a matter of a couple seconds, the dog simply sits. The response is just to sit. They're rewarded with their toy 
and they're happy. So uh, that's pretty much the process. Similar in the airports, if you're going through the airport and you see the passenger screaming dogs, as you're walking by, the dog's just actively sniffing each person that goes by. So it's the exact same process. Quick, efficient, and you have been through this process numerous times now as part of other large-scale events. How's that process gone for both the participants, the dogs, and your team? It's gone very well. So we do all of the NASCAR events, not this weekend. This coming weekend, we'll be in Nashville for the race there. We've done music festivals. We've done sporting events. We're actually, I guess we now do weddings, bar mitzvahs, and and sweet 16s because uh, we're doing a wedding in Atlanta over the 4th of July weekend, Uh, a big wedding at a a public venue. So uh, it's been going well. The customers are really happy. NASCAR keeps having us back. So that's a good sign. So if you're getting ready for your wedding and your checklist, you've got the DJ, you've got the caterer, make sure you get the uh, COVID dogs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what a, what a twenty dollars for the dogs to wear bow ties. <laughs> <laughs> that might be an extra charge. I don't know. But <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the cost efficiency of this, because for one thing, you know, with the participants on our end, it's so much easier than going through a nasal swab and that process that a lot of us have gotten used to. And, you know, for an event like Atlanta Track Club, this is pretty cost efficient in terms of screening a large number of people all at once, isn't it? Yeah, because, you know, you know, PCR testing can be 100 to 150 dollars and, you know, 24 hours to 36 hours takes a while. Rapid tests, 40 bucks per test is kind of the standard. And, you know, that's also 15 to 20 minutes. Same proficiency. I think calculating DOS can check about 600 people per hour. One team can check about 600 people per hour. And that's really a function of how quickly you can move people in and out. If you lined up 2000 people in a straight line, the dog could check them very, very quickly, but you know, nobody has that real estate. So on average, 600 people an hour, dogs are under a dollar per person, you know, well under a dollar per person to check them, you know, opposed to your other types of tests that are used. And like Jerry mentioned, and as Jennifer mentioned it's not much fun to have your nose picked real clean. <laughs> this is non-invasive. There's no waste created. There's no reagents needed. Doesn't need power. You can do it in the race chute. You can do it wherever you need to do it. It's on demand and instantaneous results that you get on site. And it's not as if you're singling people out, but you know, if a dog detects the scent on someone, they pick up something, then there's an additional layer of screening. That participant's then taken out of line and, and you go through a process. You can do the swab test after that, right? Exactly. It's like the world's best form of triage. And this is so important at a time like this. We've all kind of gotten used to the extra layer of security, but I'm wondering, is the demand decreasing now that more people are being vaccinated for you guys? Or are you just seeing this as just that extra layer for these large scale events? You mentioned, you know, NASCAR, NBA. There's still a lot of concern, isn't there, about these infections cropping up and just one person, you know, maybe creating a problem at an event like this? Yeah, I would say the demand has remained pretty steady. It is, like you said, for large scale events high profile events, you know, thankfully, you know, we are seeing a lower incidence in the U.S. and we're able to open up. That's not the case around the world. So we're getting a lot of interest and inquiries outside of the country. And we're talking with some different research and development groups, the World Health Organization and foreign governments to see how we can help there. But in the States, you know, through the end of the year, we're pretty steadily booked up for you know, larger events. Some of the other large races around the country, some of the marathons, they've been contacting us and, you know, you'll probably see us at some of those. It's important to remember that a certain percentage of Americans in every country are 
there's not going to be vaccination. They're not going to get vaccinated. So there's always going to be a, a certain percentage of susceptible population out there. You're not going to be able to tell just by looking at them. So this level of security is a nice added bonus that we're probably going to need for a while. Who else is doing this? Because I've seen articles in the Wall Street Journal recently in the New York Times about this being done in Europe and in other overseas countries, as you mentioned, Jerry. Are there other firms in the United States and globally that have the same technology? There are. There's other companies out there and they're doing a good job at it. We just feel like we've built a better mousetrap. What I think almost exclusively other companies are doing and other R&D groups, there's universities that are doing research on this, but they're using swabs of sweat or saliva. And the dogs can be effective. Their accuracies being reported are not quite as high as ours. But the problem comes in, they're working with a live infectious agent. You know, they're working with the live disease. You know, you can't just train a dog once. You have to maintain it. The dogs have to be trained multiple times weekly. So you always have to have access to infected individuals. And the other thing, and Dr. Schneider can talk about this as well, you can't guarantee what the dog is sniffing in that scent profile of the sample. You know, they might be indicating on just kind of the symptoms and the body responses that the person is putting off. Our technology, the dogs search for components of the virus itself, but it's not contagious. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the difference. And I don't, know, I don't know how much more you want to elaborate, Dr. Schneider. That's pretty solid. So our training method gives us two major advantages. Jerry mentioned the one, it gets harder and harder to find material to train people as more and more people become vaccinated. But we have a different source that allows us to make as much as we need whenever we need it. That's the major advantage for us. The second thing is because we can teach those canines to directly detect that virus and only that virus, we have a level of specificity that is harder for other groups to achieve. There are a lot of coronaviruses that go through the population seasonally, and your response to them as a human being varies, but there's a lot of overlap. And so canines that are learning to respond to a human response to a disease can get some confusing messages. So what we do is we skip that part. We take the human out of the equation and train them just to find the virus itself. Such an interesting topic here, guys. We didn't even know this existed maybe even a year ago. But I'm going to ask a selfish question here because runners are notoriously animal lovers. A lot of people like to run with their dogs. We love animals. I am one of those people at the airport. I want to reach out and pet the dog. So on July 4th or 3rd, is that allowed? If you come find us before the event, we'll find a dog that you can love on as much as you want to. (laughs) But while the dogs are working, we don't want them distracted. We want them focusing on their job. I'm the same way. I mean, I work on dogs every day and I see a dog I can't help, but, you know, someone told me to stand still and let the dog walk by me, you know, I get the shakes and want to reach out and pat its head. So (laughs) find us before we start and, you know, you can do all the petting you want. Well, it's very interesting what you've been able to do so far. And I think if anyone's concerned about this or is thinking, there's no way this is possible. I think we just have to look at events like the NBA bubble last year during the height of this pandemic, really, and look at the success rate there with all the additional screening measures. That's why this extra furry layer of security is so important, isn't it? Absolutely. And we actually feel... You know, dogs have been used to find bombs, explosives, things like that for years and years. And, you know, scientists have tried to create an artificial machine that's better at detecting explosives than dogs for years and have not been able to do it. 
and we feel the dogs are better at detecting things like the coronavirus than they are explosives because in their natural habitat, dogs communicate and source information through their noses and biological compounds like viruses are things that they look for every day. You know, teaching them to find explosives, you're introducing something artificial into their world. When dogs greet each other, they're sniffing for things like viruses and, you know, what the dog's diet is, how healthy the dog is, where the dog ranks in the pack. That's how they communicate through smelling. So we're just teaching them to smell something that they're used to looking for in their natural environment. So we actually think they're better at searching for pathogens and biological compounds than they are, you know, something that's introduced into their world, like explosives or drugs. Very cool. Well, Jay, I know this is one reason Atlanta Track Club sought out this layer of protection, because again, it's it's non-invasive. It's an easy process for the runners. And so in a strange time like this, this is probably the best way to achieve the goal of keeping those runners safe this race weekend. Yeah, we think so. And we obviously have been very convinced about what we've seen from 360K9. They've been a great partner with us so far. And we're hoping that this not only does help us root out any possible cases that we have, it also gives people a feeling of safety and calmness when they come to the Peachtree so they can enjoy that experience like they have for many, many years uh, before this all happened. So we're excited to put it to work on the 4th of July. Jerry and uh, Dr. Schneider, anything else that you would like the runners to know before they encounter these dogs on race weekend? Not really. I mean, our dogs are all very, very friendly. Some people are just afraid of dogs. So there are procedures in place that if someone wants to opt out, there will be alternative testing methodologies. But I can assure you that these are the friendliest dogs on the planet. The first thing we test for is sociability and the ability to be around large, large groups of people. So, uh, People can be confident in the dog's ability, and we hope that we do kind of bring a sense of calm and confidence to people that are there, that it will be a healthy, fun, and safe event. Basically, tell your friends. We'd like to get people used to the idea that dogs can do some really cool things. So, you know, don't be afraid to post on Instagram or whatever. If you think this is a cool thing, tell your friends. I got to meet Lord when we did the demonstration, and she was wonderful. So (laughs) I'm looking forward to meeting more of the team. Jerry and Dr. Schneider, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. The Home Depot has more ways to keep your projects running at a record pace. From voice and image search to project calculators, the Home Depot is how doers get more done. I just can't get over what these dogs are able to do, Jay. It's so amazing. I got to see it in person and we did a demonstration with K9360 last month for the media. And one of us on staff would hold the detecting agent that they spoke about in the interview and the dog stopped every time. And it was really incredible to see. And and they are, they're friendly dogs. Uh-huh. So I think it's going to be, as we said a number of times in that interview, non-invasive and quick for people. And it's not going to slow down the process of getting your number or getting it into your corral. Well, I, for one, am not afraid at all to go through that extra layer of screening. But is that necessary for every runner, especially if you've already been vaccinated? Actually, no. If you've been vaccinated, you don't need to go by the dogs at all. So if you're a dog fan who is looking forward to being (laughs) sick by the dogs and you're vaccinated, you get to skip that step. If you show your vaccination card when you come to the expo or when you get to your start wave, you can bypass all the extra layers of COVID-19 screening that we have in place. All right. That's great to know. So, again, if you have your vaccination card, that process starts at the expo. 
pick up. And a copy will work as well. You don't have to bring the physical card. If you have a picture on your phone, that will also suffice. Good to know. So remember that for your race weekend, depending on if you want to go through that screening or not. But as I told Rich in episode one, Jay, at least these dogs don't have to smell us at the end of the race. So there's that. (laughs) That is a great point. (laughs) Did you know that when you join Club Publix, you can get a shopping experience that's tailored to you? Enjoy member perks like digital coupons, a sneak peek of the weekly ad, personalized savings based on the products you buy, and more. Get all the details and sign up today at clubpublix.com. Terms and conditions apply. One more week in quarantine over in Tokyo, Jay. But actually, you've been very peppy today here on the Peachtree Podcast. I'm surprised how well you're adapting to life indoors. One of the things that I had to make sure was in my suitcase when I came over here was coffee. Uh, <laughs> and I've had a couple cups this morning, <laughs> and they've worked quite well. And it's it's nighttime over here. I know it's 9.45 in the morning where you are, but it's 10.45 p.m. where I am. So You know, after a week of this, I've adjusted to living on an opposite schedule and being in this room, it doesn't really matter whether I'm up at daytime or at nighttime. So it's going to be hard to switch back now, I fear, though. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different when we check in with you next week and hope you can get some sightseeing in over in Tokyo. And coming up next week here on the Peachtree Podcast, Jay, I know we've been focusing this podcast on, of course, all the adult participants in this year's race weekend, but leading into the big race weekend, too we have an event for kids. And the Peachtree Junior has been a part of this race history for quite a while now as well, hasn't it? Yeah, my kids are so excited about the Peachtree Junior. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. My six-year-old is, I'm trying to get him to do the mile. He's teetering on the edge, but I'm almost there. But they're, they're so pumped for it. And it's July 2nd this year, carrying on the tradition of 2019 when the Peachtree Junior was really integrated into Peachtree Weekend. So Friday, July 2nd, Peachtree Junior, registration's open now. There's a mile and a dash option. And it really is an amazing part of the tradition. It's been going on for well over 30 years of this 52 year tradition that is the peach tree. And a lot of people, you know, for a lot of people who run the peach tree now, they started out running peach tree junior. So if you've got kids, this is a great event to take them to and introduce them to what an awesome tradition peach tree is in Atlanta. So still time to sign up the kids on Atlanta Track Club's website for the Peachtree Junior. Take us along on your training runs this week, and we'll be back here next week for more on the Peachtree Podcast. You've been listening to the Peachtree Podcast, the official podcast of the AJC Peachtree Road Race. Thanks to this week's sponsors. For more information, visit atlantatrackclub.org. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ATL Track Club. A DYJ Media Production.